So our final session today will look at um, infertility and IVF, in, in vitro fertilization. So on to page nine of the notes I've given you. Uh, and the key thing that the church roots its position in, uh, well, there are two key things. One is the nature of the marriage act. But in terms of our modern discussion about rights, actually what the church talks about is the right of, of the child. And so that's the, the main thing I want to articulate today. First subheading I'm addressing is kind of the reverse, the, the alleged right to a child, that we're a married couple and we have a right to have a child, or we're a gay couple and we have a right to have a child. Well, let's go through my bullet points there. Marriage and the Marital Act are ordered towards children. So if you're a married couple and you think we have a right to a child, well, you are right to think that your union is ordered to children. So, to quote in the Catechism, sacred scripture and the church's traditional practice see in large families a sign of God's blessing and the parents' generosity. Linked with that, therefore, in reverse, infertility is a real suffering. Um, and there are just two, but there are lots of church documents that could be quoted in which the church does really address and acknowledge that it is a real suffering for a couple to want a child and not be able to have one. However, as I've said there, there is no right to have a child. Quoting from the Catechism, a child is not something owed to one, but is a gift, the supreme gift of marriage, as a human person. A child should not be considered a piece of property, an idea to which an alleged right to a child would lead. So, no right to a child. Next up, heading, the rights of spouses. So this is another angle to look at the question again. The right and obligation to only become parents with and through others, through the other. So, so I'm married, I have a wife, with my wife I have a right, by the fact that we're married, to seek to have a child with her, but also to seek that she won't have a child with somebody else, that there's, marriage has this ordering, um, that the, the desire to have a child is only through your spouse. Go to my bullet point there. Married couples have, by marriage, given each other the reciprocal, exclusive, inalienable, and incommunicable right to the body of the other for the purpose of procreation. So you've given that to your spouse um, by getting married. The intrusion of a donor, whether it's a sperm or an egg, is opposed to the exclusive fidelity between the spouses. So it's not with my spouse that I'm becoming a, a parent, it's by some third party coming in. And I've noticed, um, and this is a sociological, psychological observation, um, that the use of donors can harm marriage. For example, a wife may well come to feel distant from her husband as she realises that the child growing in her isn't her husband's, but is somebody else's. Her husband, conversely, may feel distanced from his wife when he realises that what's growing in her is not his. 
that's a sign um, that what is in the nature of marriage isn't being observed by the introduction of a third party. And then another angle that's put on this, um, the third bullet point there, the right and obligation for a woman's body not to be treated as a mere incubator. That when you're bringing sperm from somewhere else or using another woman as a surrogate mother, you're treating the woman's body as if she's just an incubator. And she might well agree to that. She might well accept money for that. But it isn't indignity to her feminine nature to be treated, to have her body treated as a mere incubator. The body isn't just something we happen to have. It's part of what we are. So, there is no right to a child. The rights of spouses, you have a right and an obligation to only be seeking to have a child with your spouse, not with somebody else. Page 10, um, which is longer, on the rights of the child, um, which would be the biggest focus I'd put on this. So as I've quoted from Donum Vitae, the declaration of the CDF um, back in the 80s, in this area, the, uh, only the child possesses genuine rights. So the, a, a, an alleged right to a child is a bogus right. The child is the one who has genuine rights. And the CDF spells them out as I've put here. So the First major bullet point. The child's right to be born of a father and mother known to him and bound to each other by marriage. So I growing up have a right to have my parents married. I growing up have a right to have my parents with me. Now yes, there are all kinds of misfortunes by which that doesn't happen, but that's different to planning for it not to be the case. Choosing So the sub-bullet point, the right to be conceived and raised in marriage and from marriage. Particularly what I just said. A child has a right to have his or her physical parent to be responsible for it as a matter of natural law. So, for example, if a priest fathers a child, you know, as a celibate priest I have a, an affair and I have a child, I have a duty in the natural law to provide for that child. I am that child's father. Um, and many bishops would then require a priest to uh, leave the active ministry in order to be able to financially support that child because you have in the natural law a duty to your physical children. And the creating of children by IVF is just ignoring all that. It's rootless children being created. Oh, which is my next point. <laughs> Rootlessness. A donor gamete breaks the bond of origin between the genetic father and the child. This alters personal relations, leads to a biological rootlessness in the human race, with unknown future psychological effects for rootless individuals. Um, now, it's not fully unknown because we already have studies and the experience of children that have been raised, IVF children that have been raised, that talk about. You know, the same way that adopted children will sometimes have long quests seeking to find their roots, their, 
physical parents, the IVF children have this, or many of them have this sense of rootlessness, and that you have created that. It's not come about by a tragic set of circumstances. You have created that by entering into IVF. Another set of problems, the, the second main bullet point, the right to be respected as a person from the moment of your conception. So IVF, the way you are conceived, does not respect your rights as a person. So firstly, there's the right to not be conceived in the high-risk environment of the test tube where most die. That is an indignity to you, to be deliberately created in such a high-risk environment. In addition, the right to not be conceived in a manner, and I put this in bold because this is one of the big points, to not be conceived in a manner that makes the primary agents technicians and doctors rather than parents. So who are the people most involved in the IVF process of creating a life? It's technicians, it's non-parents. The parents acquire a secondary, not a primary role. And that's linked with the next sub-point there. The right to not be conceived in a manner that gives control and domination over them, such that they are fit to be subjects for human experimentation and subsequent discarding. So a large number of IVF-created children are, in embryo form, experimented on and discarded. That is a sign of the fact they've been created in a context, in a situation where they are dominated by others, uh, technologically dominated. And the fact that they are able to be and are being is an indication that the whole process is not how human life is to come about. So that you're not being respected as a person from the moment of your conception. Kind of phrasing that in reverse is the third main bullet point there. The right to be the fruit of the specific act of the conjugal love of his parents. So where did I come about from? I came about from a specific act of conjugal love of my parents. I have a right to have that as my origin. I have the right to be conceived as the result of a loving, personal loving union rather than the result of a technician. And then quoting Don and Vitae, under the moral aspect, procreation is deprived of its, specific, of its proper perfection when it is not willed as the fruit of, conjugal, of the conjugal act, that is to say, of the specific act of the spouse's union. Only respect for the link between the meanings of the conjugal act and respect for the unity of the human being make possible procreation in conformity with the dignity of the person. So how do you guarantee the dignity of that person from the very beginning? In the marital act. The child has a right to be raised by his parents, his parents committed to each other in marriage, coming from a specific act of union, of love between his parents. So the last point there on the page in bold, IVF and artificial insemination make the manner of the choice of a child 
the manner of choosing a product rather than accepting him as a gift resulting from the marital act. Now, it may well be that a, a specific couple don't think we're choosing a product. They think we want a child. But the manner is that of a, a product. And so when things like sex, uh, gender selection come into the mix, mm -hmm. it's because it's the manner of choosing a product. And if you're entering into that mechanism of how you make a product, well, then it kind of seems reasonable to be choosing the gender and other things. It is, it is quite simple, isn't it? When somebody gives you a, when somebody gives you a gift, really understand the emphasis mm -hmm. that <laughs> you haven't selected it uh, and, and when somebody you love gives you a Christmas present, you love that Christmas present and hideous ties so kindly meant, in the words of John Betjeman because it's, <laughs> because it's a gift from somebody else, you don't say oh, uh, have you got the ticket because I'd rather take it back to the shop and change it for something else you completely wrecked mm. what you've been given, ha haven't you and it, I mean it seems to me that in, in simple um, in, in simple analogies like that, that's the way that we, that's the way I think that, that we persuade people of rightness of, of, of such an argument. And I think to, to, to push that analogy further, actually a tie you can take back to the shop yeah. and a tie you can ask for a seat, but to do that to a person yeah. would be to recognise that actually yeah. there's something I'm not recognising about the dignity of a person yeah. to be wanting to trade it back. And yet the process actually is built into thinking I can trade it back and mm. swap it for another one. It's almost a denial of, 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 of the sort of holiness and, and how expressive it is, or sanctity of, of, of the sexual act itself, because the whole point, I understand it, is, is that you're the peddler are sort of engaged in a kind of roulette exercise, really, in the college, where they don't know what they're going to get because of the... You know, the the genetic mix that's there, the whole thing is each person is, is unique and ha has a unique set of, of genetic characteristics that each other. Or even whether or whether the child will be healthy or not. The, you know, we're so used to thinking, well, we'll just abort if it's not healthy, if there's something that the tests show isn't right. Um, and that is because we've got used to this notion that it's not just kind of, I get what I'm given, it's a gift, but I'll get what I want. The, the child ends up just being extrinsically valuable to the world rather than something good in itself. What happens in the case of, of two people who marry? Um, the woman is quarter Jewish and um, they found out that she can't have children because she's got this particular Jewish gene or whatever it is that prevents her from having children inherited through her mother. It's only passed down through the, the female line. Mm -hmm. um, so they decide to adopt. They have their children. And then um, further studies it on her allowed her to be implanted. The womb was, was okay, but it was the bit that goes from the eggs being produced down to the womb. I'm not, I've done it all. For 
I think you you you're moving on to the thing I move I address on the next page actually, yeah. which yes. is which is the difference between assisting the marriage act and replacing the marriage act. Right. So okay. there are many helps to infertility that the church approves of, right. which aren't IVF. So let's look at the next okay. page mm. and see at the bottom of that mm. where that leaves your question. Mm. Yeah, it's a Jewish thing. They're my nieces. Both of them inherited it. Mm. So this is page 11 on your notes. They became Catholic. Right. <coughs> That's what I'm so put at the top of the page there, acts proper to procreation. So that there are actions that are proper to the procreation of human life. And conversely, other actions that are not proper to the procreation of human life. So that human life comes into being in procreation, whereby humans and gods cooperate. Humans and God cooperate. And so human actions provide the matter. God directly infuses the spiritual soul. So a man and woman don't create the life. They don't make the human life. They procreate with God. They provide the matter, he provides the soul. Yeah. So I've put in bold there a kind of summary of this. The marital act is the loving, personal act established by God and recognised as such by reason, by which human life is created in a manner fitting human dignity and received as a gift, rather than in a manner fit for making a product that's kind of putting together all the points I've made so far. Then repeating what we've looked at in previous lectures, that the marital act is unitive and procreative, that those two meanings are together, inseparable in the act. Well, moving on to what was the question a minute ago, assisting and not replacing the marital act. So the marital act is the thing that is the proper way personal loving act by which a human life comes about. But the church does say artificial procedures are okay in themselves. Artificial procedures that assist rather than replace the act are morally licit. What does that mean? Well, procedures replacing the act. Two examples. Artificial insemination replaces the act. There isn't sexual intercourse as artificial insemination. IVF similarly replaces the marital act. Conversely, an example of two procedures that assist the act to its natural conclusion. The cervical spoon, which is inserted in the vagina before the marital act and assists sperm migration. So the couple have a normal marital act, but there is this device in there that will assist it to its conclusion. Then lower tube ovum transfer where a problem with the fallopian tube is resolved by transferring the ovum to where it should be to be fertilised during intercourse. So that happens in preparation for the marriage act. Then the marriage act happens as normal. But by that preparation, it is being assisted to do what it should do. The act isn't being replaced, it's being assisted. And then the last point uh, is a debated procedure. How far can you push that before it becomes a, a farce? So the test case is um, this thing called uh, GIFT, 
gamete interfallopian inter transfer. Uh, so, firstly, the semen is collected from a perforated condom in a normal marital act. The perforations in the condom allow for the possibility of normal fertilization and so make the act moral and not contraceptive. Now, you can begin to see how that sounds a bit like it's splitting hairs already, but um, the eggs and semen are then placed in a plastic tube so that they are separated by air. And that means that the fertilization doesn't occur in the laboratory outside of the womb, but will only occur inside the womb. Where did the eggs come from? Um, I don't remember that bit of the analysis. But it'd be, fr it'd be from the woman who so will be the mother. So you would have to harvest some eggs. That's all that I could get. Yeah. Or an egg. They would yes. Go in and do the nose of the... This is what they did with my niece. Right. Where they harvested the eggs and then did this procedure. But I wanted to know whether it was... I didn't know, I'd not read this. But because I thought, oh, is she lacking in some way? They're, no. they're allowing conception to occur... No, it's not. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in the tube. That's why the air is separating the sperm and the egg. Oh, okay. Right. So, so, so they're separated. So you get eggs in one tube, separated by air, and then you blow the, the lot. Yeah. Blow the lot into the womb. Yeah. It's only in the womb that they mix and the conception occurs. Just to finish reading this, they are then blown out of the tube into the wife's fallopian tube so that they mix there for proper fertilization. All this is described what happens as the result of a natural sexual act that is assisted to its conclusion. In order that any remaining sperm has a chance to fertilize, it is then placed in the vagina. This distinguishes the process from the normal use of a condom in which the sperm is not given this opportunity. So there is a slight legalistic concern there that but it's all the things are being properly covered. The last point there is noted, while the church has not forbidden this, uh, the procedure, and in fact this procedure has been deliberately designed to conform to church teaching, the procedure has been deliberately designed, devised in an attempt to conform to church principles. Many would argue that it would seem that in this case the principal role in the fertilisation is taken over by the scientists and that their intervention Mm. interrupts the unity of the generative act. Uh, to try and say that the unity of the act has been upheld would seem to be casuistry. Um, would be one These analysis. Are technicians acting as parents. Y yes. Uh, as I, as I th that said, the church has chosen not to comment on this, which I think is an implicit approval, but it is certainly pushing the limit of where you are replacing rather than assisting the act. It's jumping the bridge, that's all it's doing. It's a blocked bridge, that's all it's doing. And they're helping that to happen. And procreation takes place naturally. Conception. Conception. And Father, you're saying possibly, but because the because no specific guidance has been given on this. But but we'd have to say the church has chosen not to give specific guidance on this. So this has been around for a while. It would have been quite easy for various church documents that have come out while this has been in circulation to have condemned it. The church has chosen not to. Um, I think it's a very good point.
very good way of turning a blind eye and making things hunky-dory. Well, I'd hope it's better than a blind eye, actually. I'm only joking. Okay. So they actually have sex with the with condom? Yes. yes. So it is, a, therefore, a normal marital act that is assisted, assisted a lot, but a normal marital act that is assisted to its trying? conclusion. So this is one of those, is it probiliarism? Yes, it would be exactly. So there's d- d- um, difference of opinion in the church, difference of opinion among orthodox, respected, approved authors. Mm. I can follow an opinion that the church has not condemned and that respected, approved authors propose. Um, I'm not convinced by the reasoning because it does seem casuistical to me. But probabilism says... I can recommend this to parishioners. And actually, when I've, I have had a couple of times on the telephone people have phoned me about this. When I've described it, um, describing the, the question and the analysis of whether it's assisting rather than replacing, you then leave it for them to mm-hmm. determine. Mm-hmm. 